1: thousand twenty three. i hope everybody is having a great day man i hope everybody is ready for another jam-packed action-packed friday episode of the aaron torres pod you don't need me to tell you but i'm going to tell you anyway here's what you need to know about today's show we're obviously we're going to open big time college football this weekend we'll focus on the three big ones texas alabama texas a&m Miami, nebraska colorado from there i'll give you the rest of my picks but we got a loaded slate to discuss break it all down all that good stuff from there we'll take a quick break i want to talk about those caleb williams comments that came from his dad his dad says if he doesn't like where he's gonna go they may just bring him back to usc for a senior year i don't think it's gonna happen i don't think those are those that, that that quote is as crazy as everybody thinks it is and then finally we wrap America's Favorite Podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We got ourselves a jam-packed Friday episode. There is so much to get into, and there is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day. Topic of the day, I'll say this. Week one of college football was awesome, okay? Had a lot of big games, but it felt like the slate was a little thin a week ago. That is not the case in week two. By the way, I should mention... The College Football Betting Pod, we dropped our week two preview on Thursday morning. Make sure you are subscribed there. But I want to go ahead and rip through the big games this weekend on this show. So let's get into it. Let's start with the big game that everybody wants to talk about. Everybody's got an opinion about. I am, of course, talking about the Texas Longhorns facing the Alabama Crimson Tide. We saw it last year in Austin. This year it is in Tuscaloosa. Alabama, a seven point favorite coming into this game. And I'll tell you, there is a lot at stake for both teams. I said it on the college football betting show. I'll say it again here. Texas, they want to prove they belong with the big boys in college football. And I think it's kind of important that they do since they're coming to the SEC next year. Alabama, on the other hand, wants to prove we never left. Georgia's good. That school's good. But we are right here with them. And so this is a big game for both programs. Now, in terms of week one, I don't want to do too much looking back, but I do think it's sort of important to set the stage for what's going to happen Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, From the Texas perspective, you know, listen, I I think two things can be true. Nice win, final score 38-10 to over the Rice Owls. You look at that game, you look at that score, and you say, oh, Texas won so convincingly. They're so great. Well, it's not quite that simple. Listen, to, to Texas's credit, They did what you want to see in week one of college football against an overwhelmed opponent. Took care of business, got the win, got out, no major injuries, all that good stuff. At the same time, for a team that all offseason, I've been hearing about how great they are, what a complete total package they are. They still look like very much a work in progress to me. This was a game that was only 16-7 to at the half. This is a game where Quinn Ewers, again, looked good but not great completed 19 of 30 passes 260 yards 63 percent completion percentage the offensive line which people are saying it's the best offensive line Texas has had in decades really wasn't all that effective I know the run game looks good on paper but I it just looked like a very vanilla you know like a B minus like if I was grading Texas I'd say B minus C plus they got the job done they got the win and it is worth noting, and a Texas fan will tell you, they're not they're not showing any of their good stuff before they play Alabama. From the Alabama perspective, I'll say, I, I thought last Saturday was a very, very positive game for them. All offseason, we've heard all about, oh, we're going to be different. We're going to run the ball. It's not as much going to be on the quarterback shoulders as it has been. And on that night, two things happened that I thought were very impressive. One, They did exactly what they wanted to do running the football. Now, to be clear, it's Middle Tennessee State. We don't need to throw Alabama a parade because they were able to move the ball on Middle Tennessee State. But at the same time, 56-7 to was the final score. And that power physical football that Nick Saban has promised us for the last nine months, that was what Alabama delivered. 205 yards rushing, five yards per carry, and then defensively, thought they were very impressive as well, holding Middle Tennessee State to just 211 yards of total offense. More importantly, Jalen Milrow, the quarterback, remember, we spent all offseason. Who's the quarterback? And it felt like all offseason, Jalen Milrow was the default because he was the guy that had been there, but we didn't really believe he was going to win the job. Well, if he plays like he did on Saturday against Middle Tennessee State, that is your starting quarterback and that is a quarterback that is good enough to lead Alabama to wins against anybody on their schedule finished the game 13 of 18 passing 194 yards three touchdowns a couple beautiful deep balls one to Jermaine Burton and also had two rushing touchdowns as well and so it's interesting because we spent all offseason uh you know again like like who's the quarterback who's it going to be if this guy wins does he keep it well nothing's guaranteed but This was a positive performance from Jalen Milrow. Now, in terms of the game Saturday, a couple things stand out before I get to my official pick. For Alabama, I do think Jalen Milrow is the key. He's going to be the guy against Middle Tennessee State all three quarterbacks played. Nick Saban ain't playing three quarterbacks against Texas unless it's either a complete disaster for Alabama or possibly a complete disaster for Texas. If Alabama's up 38-3 to going into the fourth quarter, then they may play three quarterbacks. But I bring it up because it really comes down to Jalen Milro. Was last Saturday, was it about playing an inferior competition? Was it about him not him just being better than, than that team? Or was it about the fact that like maybe he's actually really good? And I think it's worth the, noting the possibility that that could be it. You don't end up at Alabama, especially the quarterback position, if you can't play. And so maybe it took longer than expected. Maybe he wasn't ready last year when he was forced in to replace Bryce Young against Arkansas and Texas A&M. But if that's the Jalen Milrow we get, that is a very positive sign. I think the other two things for Alabama, one, can the offensive line control the line of scrimmage like they did last week? Mentioned on the college football betting show, Cole Kublick buddy of mine, friend of the Aaron Torres pot. He was on that broadcast. He's a former offensive lineman at Auburn. He said that he has never seen an offensive line with three 350-pound dudes, which is what Alabama has. Cole said he called every offensive line coach he knows, his former offensive line teammates. None of them have ever heard of it either. So you talk about a big, physical, imposing offensive line. That's what Alabama has, and that's what they're going to need to have success on Saturday. From the Texas perspective, I just... By the way, to another note about Alabama... Two of their defensive backs earlier in the week were out of practice. uh, Jalen Key and Malachi Moore. Uh, It it looks as though both of those guys are going to play. Now, from the Texas perspective, I'll just say this. You know, uh, I think the big thing is how do they handle the pressure? They're Texas. Everybody says they're back. Big 12 favorites. Now, you're not at home anymore. You're going into Tuscaloosa for what is the toughest environment that you've ever played in, which brings me to my official pick and my official concerns for Texas. And when I look at this game, there's one thing that I cannot shake. It's something I've talked about since the summer. What did I say all summer? When Texas was picked to win the Big 12, when some people picked them to go to the college football playoff, I said, I need to see it from Steve Sarkeesian. I need to see it from Quinn Ewers. And it's not that I root against Texas. I don't like him. I don't want to see him succeed. But at the same time, everybody keeps telling me that, oh, Steve Sarkeesian, oh, Quinn Ewers. Well, at some point, you got to show me. And I I, I haven't seen it. Quinn Ewers, last week, 63% completion percentage. No completions over 20 yards. So it's great that you can throw a swing pass to your running back. It's great that you can throw a quick out. Can you complete big plays against big-time opponents like you're going to have to at Alabama at night on Saturday? This was a guy. I keep talking about it. He had a great first half against Alabama last year. I wish he hadn't gotten hurt. But people think that that was like the only game that he played. Last year, he completed 56% of his passes, 15 touchdowns. That's the guy that you're telling me is going in the first round? Not saying it can't happen, but I got to see it. And then from the the, the Steve Sarkeesian perspective, listen, I'm going to keep banging home this. I'm going to keep banging the drum on this until I'm proven wrong. This is now year 10 for Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach. He has never won more than eight regular season games. He didn't start his career at Troy. He didn't start at South Alabama. He didn't start at Central Connecticut. He didn't start at Cal Poly. He's coached at Washington, USC, and Texas. And to his credit, he did take over a bad Washington program, but they never really, they hit, a, they hit a ceiling of about seven and five, never really got better. They used to call him seven-win Sark by the time he was done at, at Washington. Goes to USC, has personal problems, and now is in year three at Texas. But this is year 10. I have never, there's never been a a nine-win season from Sark. So to go from eight wins to the college football playoff, eight wins to beating Alabama and Alabama, I got to see it to believe it. By the way, I found this stat while I was doing research on this game. Did you know that in the two years under Steve Sarkisian, Texas has lost five games, five games, in which they had a double-digit lead late in the third quarter? Now, late is relative, but you know, five, six minutes left in the third quarter. They've lost five games where they had a double-digit lead late in the third quarter. And so this is who Sark is until he proves me wrong, until he proves us wrong. He is a guy, he's great out of the shoot, great in the first quarter, great drawing stuff up on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But it gets later. Adjustments are made. Halftime comes. He doesn't deliver. And so in the end, until I see something different, I'm rolling with Alabama in this game. My official pick, 31-20. to 20, Alabama wins and Alabama covers. I think this is close for a half, maybe 13-13, 14-14, 13, coming out of halftime. But those second-half adjustments, Steve Sarkeesian has yet to prove that he is capable of elevating his team when they need him in the second half. So maybe I'm wrong. We'll do it in Aaron right, Aaron wrong next Monday, uh, next Friday. If I am, I don't trust Steve Sarkeesian until he proves me wrong. I got Alabama winning. Let's go to the other big game uh, involving Texas's, you know, soon to be rival. They're still rivals, but whatever. You get the point. Texas A&M traveling to Miami, Texas A&M a four and a half point favorite in this game. Both teams coming off five and seven seasons, but I'll give credit to both. Both these teams promised change in the off season both of them through one game deliver for texas a&m we talked about it on a monday show you don't want to overreact you don't want to think too much about it but they put up 52 points in the debut of bobby petrino as the offensive coordinator i know it was new mexico but last year they played sam houston state put up 31 points they played appalachian state put up 13 points texas a&m did not score more than 40 points in any game last year. They put up 52 in the first week, and Bobby Petrino, as he promised, got the ball to his playmakers. Evan Stewart, the former number one receiver in America, eight catches, 115 yards, two touchdowns. Noah Thomas, six catches. Anaya Smith, three catches. Moose Muhammad, three catches. That's what you wanted to see if you're an AM fan. Miami, Mario Cristobal former offensive lineman, former offensive line coach, he wanted to reestablish the line of scrimmage. He is a guy that they spent a lot of time in the portal and in recruiting. Some might say a lot of money. I don't know if that's true. We don't speculate on NIL on this show, but a guy that, that spent a lot of time at the very least improving that offensive line. JV and Cohen transfer from Alabama in on that offensive line. Francis Mauioga, Mauioga, I I apologize that I'm tripping over his name, five-star kid, could have gone anywhere, chose Miami. And to Miami's credit, they did exactly what they needed to do running the ball against against Miami of Ohio, ironically enough. 493 yards of total offense, 250 yards rushing, seven yards per carry. So you saw what you needed to see from both teams. And I'll tell you, I am very excited about this game and to see both these teams. Now, in terms of what I expect and how I expect it to go, I do like Texas A&M, and let me explain why. First off, I just think Texas A&M is further along in, you don't want to call it a rebuild for Jimbo Fisher in year six, but listen, we talked about it all offseason. We talked about it last year. Texas A&M last year, Lost five games, lost seven games total. Five of them were by a touchdown or less. Remember, this is a team that beat Alabama or beat LSU. This is a team that had a chance on the final play of the game to beat Alabama. This is a team that, oh, by the way, uh, lost, uh, you know, lost in the final play to Alabama. I used the stat before outscored South Carolina after the first play of the game. South Carolina returns the opening kickoff for a touchdown. AM outscores him from there. So I just bring it up because I don't think AM was that far off or is that far off. Miami's a little bit more of a, of a learning curve, right? Miami also coming off a five and seven season. All five and seven seasons aren't created the same. Texas AM lost five games by a touchdown or less. Miami lost five of their seven by 10 or more points by double figures. Again, AM beat LSU last year know what miami's best win was maybe virginia tech maybe georgia tech it wasn't pretty and i still think there's a little more ways to go the other thing that stands out to me about miami we just talked about that rebuilt offensive line i think they'll get there in time but there's a lot of work to be done and listen you talk to football people i don't claim to be inside locker rooms and have like like, but you talk to football people they say the hardest thing to do in one offseason, is to develop an offensive line. Even Colorado last week, you saw the connection between Shador Sanders and his wide receivers, but the offensive line was a work in progress. And for Miami to flip four four new starters, one of them's a true freshman, and now you're going up against probably the best defensive front you'll see except for Florida State this year, maybe Clemson, it's a tall order. And that's the thing about Texas A&M. Listen, I know it was a disappointing year last year. But all of those super young true freshmen a year ago, part of that number one recruiting class, they're all back and they're sophomores. If you watch the AM game against New Mexico, Lewis Riddick said it on the broadcast. He said, these guys are carrying themselves in a different manner, more mature, more physical, more tough, more accountable. And I know they played New Mexico. I know it's not the greatest barometer, but they got bodies, they got talent. You go across the board. Nolan's Nolan, Nolan uh, Walter Nolan, excuse me, five star kid. Shamar Stewart from Miami, five-star kid, Shamar Turner, Damani uh, Richardson, a a linebacker. You go on and on down the list. They got so much talent everywhere on that defense. The last thing that kind of concerns me, Miami ain't going to have a home field advantage. The game is in Miami. Did you see, though, that Miami is actually giving away buy one, get one tickets to this game? In other words, if you buy a ticket to this game, you get a free ticket for later in the year. I think there's a lot of maroon in that stadium on Saturday. I think Texas A&M wins against Miami and covers the four and a half last really big game that I want to talk about. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this Nebraska at Colorado. That is right. Coach prime part two. Can he live up to the hype after week one? So again, by now, everybody knows what happened with Colorado last week. We don't need to discuss it again as fun as it was. We all understand that they won a mega game against a good TCU team, 45-42. Shador Sanders was awesome. The wide receivers were awesome, et cetera. Nebraska, we also don't need to relive that one either. Should mention, by the way, that Colorado is a three-point favorite coming into this one. Nebraska, we don't need to relive last week either. We talked about it on Monday, or I guess it would have been last Friday's show. They were up 10-3. to with the ball under five minutes to go and managed to lose the game. That's essentially impossible, yet Nebraska somehow found a way. And so I bring it up because with Nebraska, another tough loss, first one under Matt Rule after literally dozens under Scott Frost in the previous regimes. Now, coming into this game, again, Colorado's a three-point favorite. And I'll be honest. Listen, Colorado, it was an awesome story they're still very much a work in progress though okay and we saw last week that their o-line needs some work their defense got gashed by TCU and so i could see the scenario where nebraska keeps this close here's my concern though from a nebraska perspective one first of all nebraska can't win big games i mean that's just i mean that's just indisputable sorry nebraska fans it's true but what really concerns me and by the way i've heard a lot of this Well, Colorado, you know, it's easy to pull off the upset, but now everybody's expecting big things from them. And what I would say to that is like, if you think that that team is going to be overwhelmed or cocky or arrogant because they got a big win, think again. Remember the core of that team, the leaders on that team, Travis Hunter, Shador Sanders, they were at Jackson state last year. They were everybody's biggest game. They're used to winning big and then immediately moving on to the next thing. So I'm not worried about that. And bluntly, I do think Colorado wins for this reason. I do believe there's a way to beat Colorado. Run the ball right at them. TCU had a ton of success doing that last week. Uh, TCU was very, you know, listen, we could talk about a lot of different things, but TCU was very able easily. That's not really a sentence, but you get what I'm trying to say here. TCU was able to move the ball on Colorado. Okay. TCU specifically on the ground was able to move the ball against Colorado, 262 yards rushing, seven yards per carry. At the same time, though, when I look at Nebraska, Nebraska is a team that relies on the arms and legs of Jeff Sims. It's no disrespect intended to the kid, but I never understood the hype on this kid in the offseason. This is a kid who spent three years at Georgia Tech, and I know Georgia Tech is bad. But his best season at Georgia Tech, 60% completion percentage, 1,400 yards, 12 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That was his best season at Georgia Tech. And he comes to Nebraska, and he's pretty much the same guy. Effective running the ball, kind of a little bit hit or miss throwing the ball. Last week, 114 yards passing, three interceptions, did have 91 yards rushing. My concern, though, against Colorado is this. To beat Colorado. I don't think you need your quarterback scrambling around trying to make plays in space to beat Colorado be Oregon be Utah beat or be Oregon State run the ball right at them just beat them up at the line of scrimmage and I'm not sure Nebraska's really built to do that at least not right now at least not yet you start trying to m- make plays in space you start trying to get on the outside that's where all Colorado's best athletes are remember Travis Hunter on the field every play Amarion Cooper the other corner Transfer from Florida. He's a baller. Shiloh Sanders, Dion's older son, started his career at South Carolina, and went to Jackson State, so he's an SEC caliber athlete. I just look at this game, and I have the hard—I have a hard time seeing Nebraska. Listen, I'm not saying Colorado is going to score 45 again, but I mean, if Colorado scores 31, I don't think Nebraska can score 35 to beat them. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. We do Aaron right, Aaron wrong every week, so we will see. But I have Colorado winning. I'll say somewhere in the neighborhood of like thirty-four to twenty. I just don't think that that Nebraska can move the ball like they need to to go score for score. I like Colorado to win. So those are my three official best bets. I do have Alabama minus seven. I do have AM and minus four and a half. I do have Colorado minus three. The three favorites in the three biggest games. My other picks. I'll be I'll be quick on these. One Wisconsin going to Washington State. Really interesting game. I believe this is the first power five non-conference team to ever come to Pullman. The game is a sellout and credit Washington state last week, went on the road, beat Colorado state, put up 50 points against them. Cam Ward, their quarterback is really good. And Wisconsin, it's almost like a, uh, uh, what I said about Texas. I respect Luke fickle. I like him, but you look at the final score of their, their game. They won 38-17 to 17 in their opener against Buffalo. Oh, they dominated. No, 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 It was 14-10 to 10 at halftime. They were able to pull away late. And it's interesting because all offseason we heard about Wisconsin, the evolution of the offense. They're going to run the, the air raid, throw the ball a lot more. They only threw for 189 yards. The ground game was really effective. I like Washington State to win that game. The other big one, total stay away to me, Oregon at Texas Tech. Oregon, a six-point favorite, wild stat. Oregon, in week one, scored 81 points. 81 points for Oregon in week one. Texas Tech lost at Wyoming. Weird game. A lot of weather delays, a lot of this, a lot of that. With that said, I'm not confident that Oregon can win this game. I think they're going to win, but I'm not 100% positive. Texas Tech isn't as bad as they looked. Oregon obviously isn't as good. Oregon played not only an FCS team last year, but a, bat, a last week, but a bad FCS team. And finally, let me say this wouldn't it be so on brand for Oregon to lose this game? Like Oregon, every year they take a weird early season loss, or in some cases, a legitimate early season loss. They got smacked by Georgia last year. Then they're completely off everybody's radar the rest of September into October. Then all of a sudden they're back in the playoff picture in November and find a way to lose. And so I look at this game and I, 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 I just get weird vibes. Oregon should win. Texas Tech will put up points. The over under 69 and a half way too much for me. I have no strong feel on this game. My other bets, by the way, all available at Aaron online.com. I do have UConn plus the points. They're a three point uh, road underdog at Georgia state. I like UConn. I also like USC Stanford. I like Stanford plus 29 And I like the under in the San Diego state UCLA game that is currently at 48 and a half. So those are my seven picks for the week. Alabama minus seven, A&M minus four and a half, Colorado minus three, UConn money line, Washington state plus six at home, Stanford plus 29 UCLA, San Diego state under. All right. Good first segment here of the air tourist pod. What I want to do, take a quick break. When we come back, I do want to switch gears. Did you see what Caleb Williams' dad said? He said, if we don't like where we could be going in the NFL next year, we could just come back to UCLA for another year. Everyone's saying it's crazy. I'm here to tell you, not so fast, my friend. Quick break. Be right back. all right everybody i am back good to be back good to be back i do want to switch gears and i want to talk about a very interesting story it's a very interesting quotes that emerged since the last time we did the aaron torres pod the quotes they uh they are focused on of course caleb williams i think if you're listening to this show you know caleb williams resume but he is of course the reigning heisman trophy winner Caleb Williams, I think we all agree, is an amazing college football player, and he's going to be an amazing NFL quarterback as well. I think we also agree, when the next NFL draft comes around, he's going to be the number one overall pick. Even if a team doesn't need a quarterback, uh, first of all, he's the best quarterback in the draft. Drake May is really good. Shador Sanders is really good. Michael Penix is good. None of them are Caleb Williams. But even if a team doesn't need a quarterback, they're going to be able to trade out of that pick because somebody's going to trade up and give up everything to get Caleb Williams. So we all agree, Caleb Williams is going to be the number one overall pick in the next NFL draft, barring something shocking. Well, this would certainly qualify as something shocking. His dad came out a few days ago and said, you know what? We're not really positive that he's going to go pro this year. And more importantly, we have to like the situation that Caleb is going to, or we could come back and have him come back to college for one more season rather than entering the NFL draft. Remember, he's only a true junior. He has another year of eligibility after this season if he wants to come back. Here are the quotes from Carl Williams, and then I want to react to it. This is what he said. The funky thing about the NFL draft process is he'd almost be better off not being drafted than being drafted first. The system is completely backwards. The way the system is constructed, you go to the worst possible situation, the worst possible team, the worst organization in the league because of the league's desire for parity." gets the first pick. So it's the gift and the curse. He continued. I've talked to Archie Manning. His career was shot because he went to a horrible organization. Shout out New Orleans Saints. Carl Williams didn't say that last part. I did. He said, I've talked to Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray struggled because of where he was drafted. Baker Mayfield struggled mightily because of where he was drafted. The organizations matter. And so it's a very interesting quote by Carl Williams. One, credit to him as a dad. They're doing their homework. They're preparing for all alternatives. But of course, when people saw this quote, Caleb Williams potentially returning for another year of college football, everybody said the same thing. There's no way that's so stupid. Why would we even have that conversation? That is the dumbest conversation I've ever heard. And so I saw that quote and I want to react to it because while I generally agree that the quote is interesting, but also unlikely, that Caleb Williams is not coming back to college football for another year. I don't think the percentage of him not uh, the percentage of him coming back is 0%. In other words, I don't think it's happening. I would put it at less than 5%. But I do think there are some interesting factors at play and I would give it a 1% chance that he could possibly come back to play college football next year. But more importantly, I also think there's a possibility that Carl Williams, Caleb Williams' dad is setting something up behind the scenes. I got a conspiracy theory. Stick around for that. Let's start with why I think there is at least a tiny possibility he could come back. It's because of three simple letters. N-I-L. N-I-L. Listen, this isn't the decision that Matt Leinert had to make, or Andrew Luck had to make, or Vince Young had to make, or whomever, about giving up millions and coming back for nothing or going pro. It's a different world, and Caleb Williams is making bank, okay? Just look at the groups that he's working with. He has a deal with Beats by Dre. He has a deal with United Airlines, one of the sponsors of USC Athletics. He has a deal with Fanatics. He has a deal with the Heisman House. He's on the Dr. Pepper commercials. This guy's making bank. This isn't going to the local burger joint and asking for 350 bucks for an Instagram post. This is like big-time International corporations, big advertising budgets, face of those organizations. The number that I have heard in terms of his NIL, and for people who do not know, I currently do live in LA, I'm originally from Connecticut, shout out Huskies, Uh, but I'm originally from LA or I'm originally from Connecticut, live in LA. The number that I've heard, and I was on USC's campus probably about three, four weeks ago. I've heard whispers of three to four million dollars. Now that might sound crazy. And oh, these NIL numbers, where do they come from? One, again, big time corporations, This ain't mom and pop shops, but two, I'll give you a little homework assignment. When you finish listening to this segment, go search Caleb Williams foundation on Google big time foundation, Caleb Williams face anti-bullying. It's a great thing. And it's super cool that he has a foundation already, and he's only a junior in college. But you think he's running that by himself? You think he's organizing fun runs and whatever and and events like, oh, after practice, I'm going to go make a phone call to try to line up a sponsor for my whatever. No. Caleb Williams, my understanding is he has like full time employees working for him while he is a college student. Like multiple employees, maybe not like 20. He's not running, um, you know, whatever. But he's got people that work for him at this age. He is making a lot of money in college. And so ultimately, that money is still chump change compared to the NFL. NFL quarterbacks, even as rookies, are signing deals worth 30 or 40 million a year in salary plus all of the um, you know endorsement opportunities, which is ultimately what NIL is. But if the situation is that bad, it's not like he's coming back to nothing. And as a matter of fact, he'd be making even more money next year because he'd be such a household name and he'd be going for a second, maybe third straight Heisman uh, trophy. Ultimately, though, I will say, I think even though the NIL helps, I do think it's, like I said, a 1% chance that he could possibly come back. And I think it's a simple, you know, to quote my old buddy, JJ Reddick, it's a simple math equation, F-head. The simple math equation is look at the calendar. Look at the calendar and look at when he would have to make a decision relative to when we will find out the NFL draft order. NFL draft order comes out after week 17. So unless Caleb Williams is playing in the national championship, he's going to have to declare before he even knows who's picking number one overall. And I'll take it a step further. If USC doesn't make the playoff, and I don't think they will, and if he doesn't play in the bowl game, because why would he if they're not in the playoff? Caleb Williams season is probably going to end like the first weekend in December. If they play for a PAC 12 championship and a a week earlier, if they don't. And so Caleb Williams might have to make his NFL decision. If, if we even want to call it a decision with like five or six weeks left in the, on the NFL calendar. And so the idea that this guy is somehow going to know who's picking where and make the decision, then it's not realistic. But what I think Carl Williams is doing, his dad, Is a couple things, because again, they can sit here and say, we're not declaring. We don't know, but they're not going to know who's picking number one overall. But what I think Carl Williams is doing is this. I think he's putting it out there. I think he's letting the world know. If we don't like where we're going, we're going to throw a fit and we're going to try to control where Caleb goes. And you can argue if it's right or wrong, but Eli Manning did it. Um, John Elway did it. I have no problem if Caleb Williams wants to try to navigate where he's going. And I'll take it a step further. I think this is this is my conspiracy theory. This is my conspiracy theory. This is not sourced. But this is just Torres's little brain, you know, operating the way that it does. I believe that they are setting things up to get Caleb Williams to the Los Angeles Rams. And I know it sounds crazy. The Rams, how could we even know at this point? Well, here's what we know about the Rams. Rams aren't going to be good this year. They pushed all the chips in the middle for that Super Bowl a few years ago. You have Matthew Stafford with major elbow problems. Cooper Cup's out week one. You you traded Jalen Ramsey. You don't have that many dudes left over. The Rams are not going to be good this year. And the question becomes, if they're bad enough early enough with the quarterbacks that are going to be at the top of this draft, do you start to lose on purpose? And then even if you're not that good, even if you're not bad enough to be the number one overall pick, you know, what's crazy for the first time in forever. The Rams have all their first round picks in the future. I looked it up. They got all their first round picks going forward, gave them all up to get Matthew Stafford and and Jalen Ramsey and whatever. They got them back. They got a 2024 first round, 2025 first rounder, et cetera. And so if you can get Caleb Williams and you know that's the only place he wants to play, give up four first-round picks. Who cares? 49ers traded three first-rounders for Trey Lance, and look at how that worked out. You're going to be picking in the top 10, almost certainly, plus two more first-rounders. Just go do it. And for people who would say, well, Caleb Williams would have no talent around him. No. Caleb Williams would be on a rookie contract next year, which means you could go out and pay for veterans again. That's how they built the organization in the first place when Jared Goff was on a rookie deal, how they got to the Super Bowl the first time. And so for Caleb Williams, I believe the family wants him to stay in LA because he's making money hand over fist being in the entertainment capital of the world. And oh, by the way, you'd be playing for a Super Bowl winning coach in a relatively well-run organization. Not going to the dysfunctional uh, uh, Arizona Cardinals. You're not going to some outpost where, no, you know, Whatever, fill in the blank on teams that could be bad. Like, you're not going to Tampa. You're not going to Atlanta. You get to be in the entertainment capital of the world playing for a a, a Super Bowl winning coach. That's what I believe is happening. Now, look, if the Rams are much better than expected, if they're 13-4 and four and win the NFC West, and they, they're not in position to draft in the first you know, couple picks, then you reevaluate from there. But I don't think they're going to be good. And I think if they're one of those bottom teams... Caleb Williams is going to, and his camp is going to try to figure out a way to get him in Los Angeles. He's already in Los Angeles, entertainment capital of the world, making so much money in NIL. Now imagine him as an all pro quarterback in Los Angeles well. That's my conspiracy theory, but I will say, I don't think it's absurd to think that Caleb Williams could come back for another year, even if I think it's very likely, unlikely. All right, so I just want to do take a quick break. When we come back, wrap the show. America's Favorite Podcast Segment, Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong. Let's take a quick break. Be right.
0: I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2.
1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary.
0: BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All
1: right, everybody. I am back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. By now, you know the story behind this segment. Yes, I stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong every week. And I decided to bring it to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast for one very simple reason. It is because over the course of a week, a month, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than your boy Torres. And yes, I was giving out hot sports takes 20 years ago too, just nobody was listening to me. But nobody loves giving out more hot sports takes than me. And when I get stuff right, you already know, Torres said this, Torres said that. Why don't you listen to Torres, 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 Torres. Torres. I never shut up. But at the same time, I get a lot of stuff wrong, too. And so every single week, we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, highlighting my best and worst takes of the week. And by the way, shout out to you guys and girls. During college football this this um, this weekend, I had a bunch of you tweet me about some of the stuff that I got right, some of the stuff I got wrong. You said, oh, Torres, this is going to be an Aaron right, Aaron wrong on Friday. You're darn right it is. So let's get to it. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. When the week one college football lines came out back in June, I gave you a best bet right here on this show. I said, take the Colorado Buffaloes plus 20 and a half. That line did not move. And as I said on last Friday's show, or I guess it would have been last. Yeah, it was last Friday's show. I said, I think Colorado can pull the upset in this game. Well, what ended up happening? Colorado 45, TCU 42. Listen, part of it is TCU. I don't think they're that good. They lost a lot of guys off last year's team. They won a lot of close games, but part of it is Colorado as well. Listen, I didn't pick this team to make the playoff, win the national championship, or even win the Pac-12, but Shador Sanders is a baller. We know how good he is. We knew he was going to have skill position talent around him, and I've been saying since this team came together in April and May, I said, they're going to be able to score points, okay? I know the offensive line isn't Georgia. I know the defensive line isn't Georgia or Alabama. But the idea that they're not going to be able to move the ball with an NFL caliber quarterback and multiple all-conference wide receiver type kids, I never bought it. I told you last week. I told you all summer. I said they're going to be fun. They're going to be interesting. They're going to be competitive. Now, they might not win, but they're going to be more competitive than you think. Last thought, by the way. Never understood the idea why they had to be terrible coming off of a season in which TCU played for a title, LSU played for an SEC title, USC played for a Pac-12 title, all in the transfer portal era, all with one big off season in the portal, all with first-year head coaches. So shout-out to Coach Prime. Shout-out to Colorado. They get the win, and they made me look smart in the process, where Aaron was wrong. So I'll be honest. In my preseason projections, I did pick Florida State to be, uh, win the ACC and make the college football playoff. But I was this close to taking Clemson instead. I looked at it and I said, Clemson's got NFL guys all over that defense. Cade Klubnik's a former five-star. They finally got a real offensive coordinator. Clemson's gonna be have a major bounce back here. I yeah, not so much. They lost 28 to 7 to Duke. Uh, what was it? Three turnovers, two in the red zone, two missed field goals. It's a complete disaster. And so look, I don't think they're quite as bad as they looked on on Monday night. But at the same time, this is a program that is no doubt trending in the wrong direction, okay? We've given them the benefit of the doubt. We've let them make coaching staff changes. We've let them basically force out DJ Uyla Gondale at quarterback. But at some point, we have to acknowledge this is not the program of five, six, seven years ago. As I said on Wednesday's show, recapping the game, that didn't even look like Clemson. Wide receivers couldn't separate. Offensive linemen couldn't stay on blocks. Cade Clubnick's running for his life. That ain't Clemson that I know. And so Dabo Sweeney, we've talked about it. He's got a lot of thinking to do about the future of this program. Is he going to embrace the portal? Is he going to embrace player mobility? Or is he going to try to do it his way? Because his way ain't working. You know, we talk about Deion Sanders, we coming. Well, guess what? Florida State's coming. UNC's coming. I don't think Miami's going to be that bad this year, even if I pick Texas A&M, excuse me, to beat them this weekend. Dabo's got a lot of thinking to do, but I was wrong. I thought this was a bounce back year for Clemson. And it does not look like it where Aaron was right. And this was an all time Aaron, right? So last Sunday was the LSU Florida state game. And a lot of people coming into the game picked LSU and a lot of people coming in the game picked Florida state. There was as best I can tell only one person who picked Florida state to win convincingly in Orlando to win by double figures. I promised it on this show money back guarantee. Not really, but you get the point. And what ended up happening? Florida State kicked the crap out of LSU. Look, part of it is, I think Florida State's really good, but part of it is, as I said on Friday's show, I just think the matchups worked out really well for them. Big receivers against a rebuilding defensive back group. Uh, Defensive line was thin at LSU because of injuries and suspensions. That big Florida State offensive line, but I told you it was going to happen. I told you that Florida State was really good and that this was a bad matchup for LSU. So shout out to the Florida State Seminoles. Made me look smart. That was the one, by the way, where I got three, four tweets or DMs about Aaron being right. Uh, So shout out to you guys for your guys' support of this show. I called it, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It was one of the great Taurus predictions of all time. We'll see if I can get any of them right again this weekend where Aaron was wrong. There's only really one game that I completely missed on last weekend. Now, my picks went six and one, but I didn't just miss on this game. I wasn't even close. That was the South Carolina Gamecocks and North Carolina. Now, one, I just think Drake May might be better than I gave him credit for. I knew he had the tools. I knew he had the gifts. He is really good. And I'm not going to get into like Caleb Williams versus Drake May, Drake May versus Shador Sanders, Shador Sanders versus the, like we got all March and April to talk about NFL draft. But from a college perspective, Drake May is really good. That North Carolina defensive front is really good. I also just don't think South Carolina is that good. And this is where I'm frustrated with myself. All offseason, I said, I don't buy it. I know they had great wins at the end of last year against Tennessee and Clemson. But at the same time, I said, look, I don't think they're that good. I think they're a work in progress. Most of their best players entered the portal. Jaheen Bell's now at Florida State. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd's at USC. Jordan Burch, their best edge rusher, is in Oregon. I don't love Spencer Rattler. The offensive line did not look good. And it's a shame on me because I really had my doubts about South Carolina coming in. I tried to talk to talk myself into it, uh, but I ended up being dead wrong. Let's keep it going where Aaron was right. How about them LSU Tigers? So we just talked about me nailing that FSU prediction. But one thing I've said all all offseason about LSU, listen, it's okay they're not going to win the national championship this year. Embrace it. Everything will be okay. Brian Kelly is the guy, but this thing takes time. I said I thought they were a 9-3, and 10-2 type team. Don't think they're winning the SEC West. I did pick Alabama, but this just comes down to bodies and numbers. I know that Jaden Daniels is awesome. I know that the front line of that defense is really good with Harold Perkins and Mason Smith will be back and, and, and all the guys there. Wide receivers are really good. But all you had to do was listen to Brian Kelly in the summertime. Sometimes it's not that hard. Sometimes the coach, he's the he's the horse and he's leading you to water. He's telling you exactly how he feels. And Brian Kelly said this offseason: he said, We're not Georgia yet. Give us another two or three recruiting classes. We will get there. But we are not there yet. And so LSU. Is a work in progress. That's okay. It's year two. You play in the toughest division and the toughest league in college football. I still believe Brian Kelly will be the fourth coach in L- fourth straight coach at LSU to win a national championship. It ain't going to be this season though. Where Aaron was wrong. Listen, I didn't think Jalen Milrow was going to win the starting job at Alabama, and if he did, I didn't think he was going to look as good as he did last Saturday for the Crimson Tide. Nineteen of twenty-four passing, three touchdown passes two rushing touchdowns. Now, look, I get it's Middle Tennessee State. But by the way, Middle Tennessee State won at Miami last year. So let's not pretend like they're nobodies. But at the same time, it wasn't just that they won. It wasn't just that they put up points. Jalen Milrow looked like a very comfortable, confident quarterback. Now, look, it's going to take some time. And the tough the schedule is going to get tougher. Texas this weekend. Uh, Ole Miss later this month, I believe, at home. Tennessee later in the year, LSU later in the year, Texas A&M at Texas A&M. There's not a lot of easy games on the schedule in the SEC West. But at the same time, what I saw on Saturday, that's a high-level college football quarterback. Very impressed, very surprised, very happy for Jalen Milroe He proved a lot of people wrong, and he's got a chance to do it again this weekend against Texas. Finally, where Aaron was right. Let's wrap on two more Colorado stories. So first of all, where Aaron was right. So I said, as soon as Deion Sanders took the Colorado job, I said, this guy's going to clean up in recruiting, and he's especially going to clean up if they win games. Well, what happened? On Wednesday, Steve Wiltfong, the top recruiting reporter in all of college football, 24-7 sports, reported that the number one quarterback in the class of 2025, Bryce Underwood, will visit Colorado later this uh, later this this month, excuse me, for their home game against USC. He's considering LSU. He's considering Alabama. He's considering Michigan, but he's going to Colorado on uh, the 30th. Listen, I said from the beginning, I said, look, if Coach Prime can get five stars at Jackson State, imagine what he is going to be able to do at the Power Five, especially if they win. Because with no disrespect intended for Jackson State. There's just a lot of kids that would love to play for him or love to meet him, love to be part of the recruiting process with him, but they just aren't going to go play at an FCS school. They want to play at the big boy level. They want to play uh, in the power five. They want to play in 80 and 90 and hundred thousand seat stadiums. And so I said, what if he gets to a, a, a power five? And what if he has success at a power five? Cause he was recruiting well last year once he got to Colorado, but if they start winning, oh my goodness, cannot imagine what these classes could look like down the road. Now, look, Georgia's always going to get their guys. Ohio State's always going to get their guys, et cetera. And this kid is a far ways away from committing. But at the same time, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, Coach Prime does it again. Colorado has the number one quarterback in the class of 2025 visiting. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. So I wasn't totally wrong on this. I didn't think Shador Sanders was going to be that good, though, man. Listen, I I've I followed his career. I watched all the Jackson State stuff. I'm not going to lie and say I watched all the games, but I watched the documentaries. I watched a lot of stuff. And it was clear this kid was smart and poised and talented and that he was really a mistake free quarterback at Jackson State over the last couple of years. 40 touchdowns, six interceptions over uh, last season, 70% completion percentage. I thought it might take like a game or two for him to not be awesome at the college level. 510 yards passing, four different 100-yard receivers. And I've talked about it all week, but I love the poise. I love the confidence. I was blown away by this kid. I'll tell you, man, listen, we knew about Caleb Williams. We knew about Michael Penix and Bo Nix and whoever, J.J. McCarthy. This kid's special. This kid's special. He's fun to watch. And I can't wait to watch him again on Saturday against Nebraska. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the AirTorah Sports Podcast. It is time for me To get out of here if you're not subscribed to the show please make sure to do so apple spotify amazon music google music wherever you listen to podcasts make sure you are subscribed to the aaron torres sports podcast also make sure to rate and review the show go ahead give us a quick five stars let us know what you like what you don't like all that good stuff make sure you're following on social media at aaron underscore torres on twitter at aaron torres pod on instagram aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com aaron torres podcast questions at gmail.com that is all for today's show it is time for me to get out of here thank you for your guys and girls support shout out to torrent shout out to rachel who hates my voice shout out to jj reddick UFN, unblock me bro by the way help control the pet population have your pet spayed or neutered r.i.p bob barker i'll be back on monday and i know we're gonna have a ton to react to aaron torres sports podcast